Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. We are proud members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am coming at you from my other home studio in Atlanta, Georgia. As you can tell, no backdrop behind me. The lighting is not uh, what we're used to and the sound maybe not what you're used to, but we're going to make the best of this. I am so excited to have JY O'Bone on the podcast this week. JY is a former top junior, a former college player, a current coach. Uh, He's a junior development coach, but also is working with American professional player Riley Opelka. And those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while may remember listening to Riley's dad, George, on the podcast many years ago. And as I was telling JY, the first time I met Riley, first time I got to see him play, was at the U.S. Open Juniors, must have been 10 years ago. So crazy, crazy, and fun how these things kind of come full circle. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. But before I bring JY on, just a quick reminder, if you haven't become a premium member of Parenting Aces yet, we would love to have you on board. And thank you to those of you who are premium members. We so appreciate your support. If you have any questions about what our premium membership is all about, just go to ParentingAces.com, click on the join button, and you'll hopefully get all those questions answered. Now, without further ado, let me bring JY onto the stream. JY, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. So it's so funny that you typically live in Atlanta, but you're in New York at the U.S. Open right now. I am mostly in SoCal, but I'm in Atlanta right now. We just kind of missed each other, but really happy we were able to make this work. And thank you for taking time away. Thank you to Riley for giving you permission to take time away (laughs) to come be with us. Yeah, I know. This is great that we're able to work it out. And if it makes you feel any better, I never see any of my friends at home. This is how I have to meet with anyone because the short amount of time I do have at home uh, goes straight to family and then I'm probably on a plane pretty soon. So this is uh, this is how it goes. I know. I know. So before we jump into your coaching philosophy and your approach to junior development, I'd love for you to give the audience a little bit of your background in tennis. Sure. Well, uh, I'll keep it. Not as simple as possible. Both my parents played professional. My whole family, uncles, you know, a lot of them played professional. I mean, tennis is in the blood. So uh, my parents started me off playing at two years old. And 
played ever since. I played in Florida, grew up in Miami. I played all the junior tennis down there. Um, at just as I finished middle school, I did the homeschooling thing for four years. Um, that was just starting to be something that kids were looking into quite a lot as I started. So that was a good experience. And then did good enough in juniors to get a scholarship at Florida State. Uh, had a good career there. Took, uh, took a break right after college. Uh, I was burnt out and uh, took two years off, went to work in finance, uh, came back uh, to tennis, you know, because I found out quickly I was going to have to work the rest of my life. And if I was going to do that, I at least wanted to see what professional tennis was like. Um, I knew the odds of me making it back to a grand slam. I played once during my times in college at the U.S. Open. I knew the odds were going to be kind of tough, but I said, like, I just, if I'm going to work, I'll, do, I'll, I'll work the normal way a different time. I'll delay it. My parents helped me out there and then uh, played for about four years, started, uh, you know, then I stopped. Didn't, you know, some would say I had a pretty decent career. Yeah, after 400 and singles, 280 and doubles. Financially, it's not a good career. So I stopped and then I started working at a country club. And now I'm traveling, working with Riley for the last four years. And there we are. Yeah, uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully we can tell our life story, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up with these two professional tennis parents, and you went on that junior journey into the college journey, then into the professional journey. What was your relationship like with your parents growing up, and how? what was their involvement in your tennis? Well, they were fully involved, especially to 15, about 14, 15 years old. Uh, my mom actually spent more time on the court with me, I think, till about 11, 12. Um, she traveled to most tournaments with me. Um, and then my dad really took over for the next couple of years. Um, you know, he was still a big part of it growing up I, for whatever reason. I just remember being on the court more with my mom. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I trying to balance parenting and coaching. I mean, they – you know, my, my dad was played in all the grand slams, got to about 90 in the world singles and doubles. So kind of hard not to listen to him. I think he knows what he's talking about. And my mom, she played a year on the tour herself, stopped to travel with him the rest of the time. So, I mean, she was there everywhere. She So she saw everything. So their knowledge and, and their friends and everything, I mean, just their whole inner circle was professional tennis. So um, that was a circle I wanted to be in. They knew what it took to get there. And, uh, you know, we had our yelling a little back and forth, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I did my best to listen because I knew what they were, they knew what they were talking about. So fast forward, you're now working with juniors, but also working with Riley and traveling the world with him. You have a website and you have a very clear, it seems to me, philosophy on junior tennis development that you share through blog posts and doing interviews like this. Can you share that with the Parenting Aces audience? Yeah, I, I'm glad you think it's clear because I'm trying to be. Um, it, it's not easy, uh, especially for a parent that didn't grow up in tennis themselves and go through it. I mean, geez, you really can be pulled in so many different directions because you just don't know, right? So you trust whatever you're going to get. But I think the biggest thing I've been trying to make clear is, one, there's just a certain kind of work ethic that you just if you have to have. Um, and, and if that's not there, there's just not a lot you can do without that. And the second part is to throw out any kind of rankings until they're about 14, 15 years old. 
Um, that doesn't mean you don't look at it, but that doesn't justify the work. Okay. You, kids grow up at different times. They mature at different times. They grow physically and me- mentally at different times. So they're going to lose so many junior matches simply because of just junior things, right? It has nothing to do with their skill level. And, th- and that, so you can't, you have to look at, are they improving? Are they learning? And is their mindset correctly? Are they working the right way? And do they have a good team around them? And, and that's it. And then you can't fully control their success. Uh, you just have to let the pieces fall where they may. But if you have those things in place, something good's going to happen. But, you know, I think a lot of times we parents uh, and players and coaches themselves can get a little misled by, by staring at UTRs a little too much. UTR is new, right? I didn't have to grow up with UTR. Right. Um, and rankings also weren't so easily accessible when I was growing up. So you, you didn't really look at it. You just kind of knew if you were making semifinals and finals of tournaments, you, you were probably going to be okay. And that's what we looked at. Now it's like, you know, who who's who did I beat in Constellation? No, Constellation's not good enough, so there's no point in playing. You know, but before it was like, just play as many matches as you can. Like, you got to get better. Um, so, yeah, that's just, are you doing the right things? And then, you know, just let things fall where they may. And that's it. I want to dig deeper into this whole notion of work ethic and putting the work in. Um I know that, you know, part of your philosophy is talent only means so much. It's it's not a determining factor of future success. It's, you know, one piece of the puzzle. But the work effort and the willingness to get out there and hit a lot of balls and eat the right way and train the right way and compete the right way, all of those are the things that are going to determine future success. How do you instill that ethos in the families that you work with. And I'm even talking at the professional level because there's some pro players that still need to learn that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that I forgot about that. And that, that that's front and center on my webpage. Uh, It's a book. I read a peak by Anders Erickson, uh, Florida state university professor, Uh, unfortunately passed away recently, but basically science has proven talent doesn't exist. It's created, right? And the more you work, the more so-called talent you create, right? But it doesn't exist without talent. So if you don't show up on the practice court, how do you know you're a talented te- tennis player or not, right? And so with the, the, the more you work, the greater your potential, the greater your talent is. So starting with that is the most important thing, you know, and then just keeping that in mind with, just lost my train of thought there, but just keep in mind that, you know, a lot of times people will look at the talent first and say the talent, Oh, this kid's talented. He's going to make it, you know, but there does become a certain point where all the work is evened out, right. Mm -hmm. Or all the talent is evened out. And it really becomes whoever works the hardest wins. It's, it's just that simple. Like if you have plans to get, to that part of tennis where it's that high and, and collegiate level and pro you will get outworked by people no matter how good you are. So you, you either put the work in or you're going to get left behind at some point, you know, you can, you can have some success just by some skills you developed early. But I think a lot of those people is just, what did you, you know, they, they look at talent and it's more of, they don't ask the question, well, what, what are the things they did growing up? Right. 
you know, usually if you have parents that were athletes or they put the kids in sports, they're going to develop those athletic skills sooner. But no one asked that stuff. They just said, oh, wow, that's a talented kid, right? They don't ask when he started playing tennis, how many hours he spent on the court. And, yes, there's a passion for the game, of course, where the kid wanted to be out there. But, if you you know, there's not many kids that just started playing tennis and sports at 11 years old. That was their first time being an athlete at 10. All right, I'm going to pick. It's true. It's just you're kind of late to the game. Right. You know, so, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've shared this story before, but one of the boys that my son came up with was one of these kids that everybody referred to as super talented. He had incredible results in the 12s, um, even into the 14s. And then, sorry, my phone is ringing. I don't know why. Um, Incredible results in the 12s and into the 14s. And then he just quit. He just flat out quit. And my son watched this kind of unfold and told me, and my son was a year or two behind this boy. My son said, I don't understand how somebody that talented doesn't put the work in to get as good as he can be. Like it it frustrates me as somebody who has to work really hard to even be on the court with him that he's got all this natural ability and doesn't put the work in. And I thought that was a really interesting observation from, you know, let's say my son was 10, 11 at the time when, when he kind of picked up on that. Um, and, and my son from an early age understood that, you know, he wasn't born with all of these gifts. He, he wasn't physically big, you know, he, he was quick, but he had to work really hard to compete at the level he wanted to be at. Um, unfortunately, what happens sometimes, though, is those kids who are putting in that amount of work effort suffer from burnout or suffer from injury or suffer from both. So as a coach, how do you help manage that workload to keep the fire burning and to keep the body healthy? Well, I think taking, uh, you know, I don't like to use this word too much, but it is a good word, a holistic view right of a coach has to care for the player not just on the court but off the court and they have to care more about themselves than their bank account right meaning you know there's days where a kid will play a tournament and the parents might not know that look they just played 10 days in a row take a day off maybe take two right or maybe just don't play tennis go to the gym right just something like that but what the coach will hear is they want to come back and take a private lesson to work on the things that they did wrong in the tournament Right. So the coach says, great, got a lesson. Let's do it. He want, oh, he's so hungry. He wants to come back at it. You have to manage that. You have to look at the bigger long term picture. You have to say, no, don't come to practice. Right. You're actually going to get even better because you're going to be fresher on Tuesday or Wednesday rather than coming to practice on Monday. You're going to be able to put more effort in. And if anything, if you thought you wanted to come to practice Monday morning, you're really going to want to come to practice on Tuesday. Right. And so that's when they they really lock in. So doing these little things little by little is just so important. Look, asking what how are they sleeping? How are they eating? Um, What's their social life like? Right. Social lives can be different, but there still has to be happiness outside of the court, too. And does that mean the coach becomes a parent themselves? Not really, but maybe like an uncle. Right. To where you have to care that much. 
because if if not, you're you're going to lose sight of things. You're going to lose. They need guidance, right? And the guidance comes not just when you're hitting a ball. It comes with providing the environment for them to grow as a tennis player. So it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of stress because sometimes the things don't go well. Um, but you have to care that much and you have to give them that much attention because it is that hard, right? It's not easy. So, and you have to guide the parents and the kids every day, every week, probably till about, oh, geez, actually it never ends, right? It never ends because you just transition from one part of tennis to another and another and another. First you were a beginner, then you're intermediate, then you're, you're, you're an expert, but then you're an expert versus these kids. And then you move to 18s and now you're traveling around the country and then maybe the world and now college. It's so, there's so many different environments that it's a never ending process to be involved in. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you kind of see your role as the junior coach in terms of the off court part of the player's life? And by that, I mean, well, it's not really all off court, but by that, I mean, character development, um, you know, having a good ethos on court, making sure that the player is a good sport, making sure they know how to manage their emotions. I'm not saying control their emotions because I don't think any of us can control our emotions 100% of the time, but at least have tools to manage the emotions. Where do you fit into that process as the junior coach? I think they go hand in hand, actually, both on the court and off the court. Uh, you're not going to find a kid who, for some reason, is respectable on the tennis court, is an honest tennis player, listens and works hard, but off the court is uh, struggles to, to, to listen to his parents, struggles to listen to his teachers, struggles to do homework on time, struggles to be nice to people. That You're just not going to find that different of a person, right? Yeah. They you you they usually connected, right? So you have to develop everything. So, and that's where I think it's important to solve issues, not just in a tennis situation on the court, but use that some ways as to. I I feel like it's important to guide them with situations off the court too, right? And you know sometimes you can be like, hey, you know when your sister throws something at your head, right? You know, instead of just getting mad and throwing your racket right back at her, right, take a second, breathe, think about things clearly, and then react, right? And now you want to do the same thing on the tennis court, right? You do, or, and, and you just go back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's funny because you, you get to know them. You get to know who their siblings are. You get to know the parents. So you can kind of throw in some stuff like that, that that'll make them laugh. And w- will it work the first day? No, but you do it enough. And then as they develop those skills on the court, hopefully they can start translating the skills off the court too, you know, and I'm sure they will. And you see that, I mean, from your perspective, that is part of your role as a junior tennis coach to help develop the character of the player. Yeah. Because to me, like not every heck, even if they do end up playing professional, there's a day where tennis stops being the central part of their life. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're, they're going to do things off the court. So if you only guide them towards success on the court and not off the court, you're missing the biggest thing. Tennis is just a part of a kid's life. It's not their life, right? And they're going to have a life beyond tennis. So if you don't set them up for success 
everywhere, then as soon as they leave the court, they're going to fail in life. And eventually they'll fail on the court anyway. Right. It, like I said, it goes hand in hand. Sure. Sure. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting is kind of, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years now. So some of the kids that are now on the pro tour, I met like at, like I met Riley in the junior years and watching that development from junior tennis into professional tennis is really fascinating. As a coach, how do you kind of switch hats between being a junior tennis coach and a professional tennis coach working with young kids and teenagers versus working with adult males and is there an overlap, a crossover like there is in, for example, teaching the character development stuff? I think the character development probably is, is more of a similar hat, right? Because some things are just non-negotiable, right? You know, just getting mad and, and throwing your racket at one all in the first set because you haven't made a first serve is equal whether you're a pro or junior, right? It doesn't make sense, right? Yelling at an umpire because you thought the call was wrong when you, the call might've been right in the first place, like that's a non, like it's the same. There's only one way to handle there's a, well, there's only one proper way to handle. Right. <laughs> so th those hats are pretty similar to me. Um, talking to the player with respect, calmness, truth, but not insulting, you know, calm criticism, caring criticism. I think that is universal as a coach, which is different is when you get a pro, for the most part, you're not going to tell them a lot of new things, right? For the most part, you might just be reminding them of things, you know, making sure their head's in the right place so that they can remember all the stuff they've learned, right? Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then you're just pulling them back and forth. And as they work on one thing, they might forget another thing. And then you just, you're just constantly bringing them back and forth until like the things just kind of align, right? And then you have a week like what Riley did in Toronto where things just, they just kind of aligned, right? We're just pulling back and forth, getting this forehand back, getting that backhand back, and then boom, it just aligned, right? Juniors, a lot of things, like, they, they just don't know. They think they know. <laughs> but, you know, there's so many more opportunities to, to really open their eyes. And as, as they move older, the game starts changing as well, right? How you were playing in the 12s is different than 14s and 16s. It's constantly changing. And even the style of playing college tennis is just so much different than pros. Futures are different than challengers. So you're constantly opening their eyes, right, to, to new ways to do things. Um, whereas once you got a pro in the top 50, it's that's it. They've, they've seen it all, right? Yeah. Now it's can you put them in a clear mindset on the court? Right. Let's talk a little bit about – your work with Riley, the U.S. Open is getting ready to start as we're recording this. Um, it's qualies right now, but y'all are in New York and Riley's on site and y'all are working. What does a typical day look like the week before a Grand Slam? Um, lots of set play, right? Making sure that he had anybody doesn't really matter. Just just get a lot of set play. Um, you know, we try to limit things to about two hours of tennis a day, uh, especially then maybe the two days before the first round, maybe only an hour, hour 20. Uh, we want him fresh. He's already played enough tennis at that point. Um, 
if I'm trying to get a three hour practice out of him, then we're probably too late on something anyway. Right. Like we, we, we missed something. We're not going to get it by Monday. So might as well be fresh and let's just be sharp, um, get set play. And then if something's just kind of a little off, then we maybe just get a little private court time with just me and him and just kind of just tune things up. Right. And then, uh, just really spending a lot of time with his physio, just making sure his body's feeling good, his body's strong, um, his pains are minimized. I mean, when you're an athlete at this level, something's going to hurt every single day. You know, it's just a matter of is it an injury or it's just just something that's just part of the life, right? And just making sure he's he's healthy enough. Uh, there's no player that's going to be 100% come first round feeling nothing, right? And they're going to leave this tournament feeling something. It's just we want it to not be an injury. It's just soreness, tightness. It's fine. Right. And just managing that and making sure his mind is clear on how he needs to play. Just crystal clear conversations on his strategy. And it's a different environment at the U.S. Open this year. I was actually on a conference call this morning about the health and wellness policies that are in place this year. Um, It's a lot looser than last year with the bubble and everybody had to stay in the same place and it was crazy all the testing and yada yada this year it's a little bit looser fans are going to be back on site for the main draw what do y'all do when you're not on the court I mean are you out enjoying the city are you you know enjoying fine food are you going to shows Um, or is it really laser focused this is a grand slam it's you know we just got to be ready to compete no it's uh it's, you know, every player is different. Riley's more on the side of, look, I love to play tennis. I love to compete, but tennis isn't everything. So, and especially, you know, we know the European season is coming up soon. Are we going to be back in bubbles? We don't know. Um, so he's taking the opportunity to, you know, go to some restaurants, see some friends safely. Of course, you know, we, we still have to be mindful that, you know, he, you know, we don't want to get COVID. So, yeah. You know, just just trying to live a life that honestly we, we haven't really been able to live. I think one of the things we, that that is great about the professional, the life of a professional player is, is seeing the world, trying restaurants, different foods, meeting different people, getting to know different cultures, and uh, we haven't had that for quite a long time. So it's it's really great, and also gives a player just a break, right? Get your yeah. mind away from tennis. Um, this is how you avoid burning out you know you minimize the chances right you, you allow a player to live a little bit uh, and and that way come 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 match day it's like i'm ready to play right i've had my i've had my practice but i've had my life this i know this is where i want to be there's no friend's birthday that my gosh i really wish i was there because riley's not at the point yet but look i mean you get to your 15th grand slam it feels different than your first sure. right so managing that passion, keeping it there is just so important. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about that because you mentioned that when you were done playing college tennis, you were kind of burned out and you decided to detour into the world of finance for a couple of years. How did you know you were burned out? What were some things you were feeling or sensing about the game that made you say, you know what? I may be done. I may not be done, but I know for a fact I need to take a break. I would say it, it started with I started having some some matches that I lost that maybe didn't bother me as much. 
Um, I was just getting too angry on the court too quickly. Uh, I was, if I wasn't winning, I wasn't happy. And when I won, there's more relief. And, you know, I just, you know, there's just certain things that an athlete feels like when they're, when they're even in practice, right. When they do great things in practice, there's a, there's a joy with it. Right. And, and I wasn't feeling those things. And, um, so when, when we play our last NCAA match, uh, I lost individual tournament. That was my last match. Um, I went home and I just said, I didn't say I was quitting. I said, I'm just going to put my rackets in the closet. And when I want to pull them out again, I will. And I didn't pull them out for a long time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't make a decision on it. It just, and then after a while, you know, it was probably about a month and a half, two months. And I just said, I don't need to be back on the court. You know, I'm having so much fun. Um, being away from that stress um, that at the end of the day, I was doing to myself, right? I, I needed help with managing that and I wasn't getting that help uh, and I wasn't looking for that help either. So I, I didn't manage stress of a high level athlete, especially in college, well at all. Um, and I, But I was, at the same time, I was, I was very happy not feeling that and not feeling that stress, that struggle. And I was so happy starting to have friends again um, in a normal way and living a normal life, I was really enjoying it. So I just said, I'll keep going with it until I don't want to do it anymore. And then that that's kind of the approach I take with everything, right? I don't know how long things will last. I'm, I'm going to ride it out, but I know there's going to be moments where I have to push through, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to be easy and smooth forever. And I just have to be honest with myself and be like, look, maybe I just need a little vacation, but you got to keep going. Right. And, and I have, you got to be honest. And that's the, the challenge, right, is recognizing when you need a short break because you just kind of need a reset, recognizing when maybe you need a longer break, or recognizing when you need some help. And one of the things that the U.S. Open has been pushing this year is they're providing mental health services to the players this year. Um I, I think for the first time and, you know, mental health struggles have been a lot in the news this year. Um, we, you know, Naomi Osaka's announcements, Marty Fish is heading up the effort at the U S open this year, which I think is really cool. But as you said, you know, a lot of times players need that help managing the stress, managing the anxiety, managing the frustration, but they don't know they need that help because we're not really good at talking about needing help on the mental side. We, we talk yeah. about it in terms of mental toughness, but not in terms of managing stress and anxiety. What's the role of the coach there? Well, I think one of the things or the thing that's most important for a coach to develop in an athlete that is trying to succeed at all, because you have your recreational athletes that love the exercise and be with their friends. And there's the, the athletes that really, hey, I, I want to get to college and play the sport and maybe pro, right, is developing mental skills, right? And I think we need – I just – the word psychologist and dealing with our emotions and stuff, it's just got such a bad stigma to it. It's, right. it's still not talked about in a manner that uh, it makes people want to open up, right? Mm -hmm. And – at least not until you're much older and you're just more self-confident, you're more comfortable in your own skin and you don't really care so much what other people think. Everyone gets there at some point, 
you know, but when you think you're, you're 17, you think that's just how you're going to feel forever. Right. So I, I, a coach has to teach those mental skills immediately. Everything has to do with the mind on the court. Now, some kids need it more than others. Some you need to address it more and others you need to address it less because they just do some things better. They just handle stress better. It is what it is. Right. But I think making mental skills as part of the development program has to be at the top and and, and there's you, ways to do it for you. What does mental skills mean? What is so that mental skills to me would be, like you said, we can't control our emotions, but we, I think it was uh, Dr. Dr. Lauer from the USDA that I heard him say this very well is, you, you can't control your initial thoughts, but you can control your reaction to your initial thoughts, right? So to me, that's the, the most important thing. That's, that's everything for me. If you can be good at that, you're going to be good at handling your emotions, stressful situations, and, and everything that life is going to throw your way. If you can just – and really, if I had to say, if you can learn to just how to take a deep, slow breath, the second that anger and terrible voice hits you, because it's going to hit everybody, it's unavoidable, right? You can just take a deep breath. It's amazing how you're going to handle that situation so much more differently than if you just rolled with whatever came to your mind. Right. Right. If you can do that, you're going to be okay. But it's hard. It's hard because that initial emotion is so powerful, especially when it comes to anger. Happiness, too. You can make wrong decisions being too happy. Right. So sure. just trying to find that equilibrium. Yeah, sure. So when you're on court with a junior player, for example, who is getting, excuse me, getting frustrated, um, you start to see the anger bubbling up. You start to see, you know, or maybe you hear, you know, the language or the racket, you know, banging the racket on the court or whatever. What do you do as the coach to, A, help them recognize what's going on and, B, help them rein it in and redirect some other way? Yeah. Well, first, I hopefully am teaching them to deep breath. Get to the deep breath because even if you talk to them in a manner where you're trying to help them, if they can't do that, then they're going to respond to you angrily, negatively. And it has nothing to do with you. It's just – they haven't been able to calm their emotions down. So take a deep breath. And then I just ask, just start to ask them, right? Why are you angry? And then I just break down the situation with them. And then I get them to see the larger picture, right? Mm-hmm. They have to be able. Now, it's hard. It, it's amazing how when you talk about it, it seems like such a long process. There's no way someone can do it within 20, 23 seconds. But it, your mind just learns to interpret patterns on the court, interpret situations, and quickly realize it's 40 love, let it go, right? It, there's just things that you just – you do it so much, your mind knows how to react because you've trained it. But helping them understand what's going on on their side of the court, what's going on on the other side of the court, put things into perspective, and then put things into perspective with the overall objective of the day, which is does this fall into play with – you getting better right now and today is this going to help you do that right and then if you see that you know a lot of times they'll say well i'm tired of missing that serve i'm tired of missing that shot or gosh i keep missing i'm losing i hate this 
okay, does any of that help you accomplish your goal of getting better? No, does, right? You've identified your emotions. That's fine. You identify what you're feeling. That's fine. You have to get to the point where you're starting to be productive towards moving your, to, to getting closer to your goal. So take a deep breath, get what do you need to do next to get closer to that goal and go right. from there. One thing you said a few minutes ago really jumped out at me when you were talking about recognizing it was time for you to step away from the game for a while. You said that um, you you got to the point where you didn't really care if you lost, like it just didn't bother you. And I'm wondering how you find that balance between having that, you know, deep seated frustration and anger over losing because we know that I, I think we know that it's more important to hate losing than it is to love winning. If you're going to yep. be successful in the sport, right? You have yep. to really hate losing, but, yep. but at the same time, you have to be able to lose, get angry and then put that away and move on. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Extremely hard. It's extremely hard. I mean, the, and, and think about a 10 year old trying to do that. Yeah. Well, and that's why it, it is so hard to do these things. Great. Right. But you have to do them anyway. And I think that's probably the hardest part for, a coach and a parent too, which is you see your 10 year old get to that point of tears, right? If you haven't cried after you lost once when you were a kid, something's wrong, right? We all cried. You know, I even cried as a pro. It happens. It's fine. But you see that frustration and you don't, you don't want them to feel that way, you know? And so, but through that frustration is where I felt you really find who wants it the most, right? Mm -hmm. How do they use that anger? Do they use it to learn what they did wrong or do they try to run away from that pain? Because no one wants to feel pain, but there's, there's two ways to not feel it, right? You, you correct the mistakes and then when they don't happen, you don't feel that pain, though you'll feel it a different way because you'll make different mistakes, but, or you run away from it. But then the problem is you're going to have to run away from everything your whole life because you, there's nothing in this world we know how to do well. We have to learn it somehow. Now, people say, oh, well, they're just better at doing that than this. So let's have them do that. The difference I've found is they just like doing that other thing a lot more. So they just pay attention in a manner that helps them focus, that helps them pay attention. And so they're coaching themselves through it so much better because they really, really want to do well in that. Sometimes, you know, I... At least that's what I found. You know, I don't know if you've seen different. That's just been my experience. I think that's that's a good observation. I think, you know, the things that we love and that we are passionate about, we tend to do better at. And, um, you know, we may have a threshold that we're going to reach that may not be the top of the game or the top of the art or whatever it is. But, yeah, I mean, I think you know, things that you enjoy and have a passion for, you're willing to put more work in and willing to push through the frustration of maybe not being good at it at the beginning. But I think in tennis, one of the things, you know, for me as a parent, one of the things that was the hardest was watching my son get frustrated on the court, get angry, 
knowing that the rules of tennis don't allow for him to express that in a way that was going to feel satisfactory to him. And then him not having the tools yet because he wasn't mature enough at the time to manage it properly. And so you sit as the parent on the side of the court, watching your kid implode being a sad for them. That's the first emotion be embarrassed by their behavior and then see oftentimes as the parent that turns into anger towards your child. Like, why are you acting like that? And I think it's very difficult to kind of maneuver all of that as the parent when also you'd, your child is working with a coach that isn't recognizing these things and working with the child to correct them. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm really thrilled to hear you say that you feel like that's part of your job as the coach is to help the, the players learn how to handle all this stuff. Yeah, because, and it, gosh, it's so frustrating, right? When you're sitting there and watching them and, but, and this is why I was so, I was really angry. I don't, I, I try to stay away from the Twitter rabbit holes of just getting in there and just crushing someone because it's just so unhealthy. But I was really, really close when Sissipas was quoted as saying he believes in coaching during matches um, because he missed the bigger thing of what tennis is and what tennis can do for kids. And I know he would, he's not thinking about it and that's fine. But what wasn't being talked about was what's so great for kids when they play tennis is you have to learn to grow up. If not, you cannot succeed. If you cannot think for yourself, you have no chance, right? But the same thing happens in life, right? There's a point where kids become adults and they start to run their own life. And they go to jobs and it's just them and their boss. Now, they might have a team, but they have their own responsibilities. And they're going to come across a point where they're going to be stressed out. They're going to hear things they don't like. And they're going to have to do things they don't want to do. But they have to do it anyway. And they have to find a way to put all those emotions aside, put their fatigue aside, because maybe they're not sleeping great because their stress is so high or a bunch of other things. But they still have to find a way to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And that's where if you can develop the skills as a kid in tennis to go have enough miserable experiences on the tennis court as a kid – But then you finally learn so that when you're an adult, you know how to handle those emotions. Just because it's the tennis court and the office and they're different places, there's similar feelings, right? And if you can remember, oh, I've I've been this angry before. Don't don't do anything stupid, right? You know, you just get reminded of how to act because you have all those experiences. So it's better for, for the, I felt it's better to have those miserable experiences as a junior in a controlled environment on a tennis court, then it is to start learning how to do that as an adult in front of your boss. Because there is a point where you don't get any more chances and you're not going to get hired and you're not going to get promoted. And people are going to look at your resume and say, why can't you hold a job for three months? Like we don't want you at our place. And now they can't support themselves financially and it's a mess, right? right? So that's why I think tennis is such a great sport because you learn the skills that help you become a successful adult. Yeah, I agree 100%. JY, what is your feeling on the role of the parent throughout the junior tennis development journey? 
it's changing constantly. That's just the truth. Uh, I, I went through a period where I, I felt like, and I'd love to know your experience as well, because <laughs> it, it's not easy and different parents can do different things. Um, but I felt like for a while where the educating the parents with, on what they're doing on the court and, and the development and everything was helpful because for the most part, parents are taking kids to tournaments. So they're going to be the ones talking to him before the match, right. maybe between a second and third set and after the match before their next match. So if they had the information, they could kind of coach him through a little bit, right? Right. The thing I'm starting to wonder is, is to me, coaching isn't just the information. It's how you give out the information. Absolutely. When do you say something? When do you not? How do you say it? Your tone of voice. You can say something very positive, but in a very aggressive manner, and the child is not going to listen to you. And your information might have been spied on, but you said it at the wrong time in the right tone of voice. And now they're actually so mad at you that they don't even want to listen to you. And that carries over onto the court. And you do that enough times and tennis becomes an environment they don't want to be in because there's just too much stress. I know I took it really far there, but that's how things start. And I, I think it's really hard for parents to separate the baggage of being a parent and the things that kid did wrong, waking up late, not doing their homework on time or just not t- talking back to their, their mom and dad in a disrespectful way or, or whatever. And, and that first, that energy carries over into whatever they're saying in regards to tennis. And so that tone of voice comes out, mm-hmm. right. Where they're just tired of kind of dealing with mistakes. Right. And they mean so well, but that tone of voice, when to be quiet, when not gets clouded when you have so much baggage being dragged in. So I, I don't know if that's been your experience, but I'm going through that. So I'm wondering if, should I just tell parents, look, just don't say anything. <laughs> Even if you know what to say, just be there for your child, support them, sit down quietly, put your hands in your lap and just watch. And just, it, it's about them now. It's not about the parents. So right. just let them play their tennis, let them learn. If to throw the racket, then just tell them no, right? There's, there's certain things, of course, but that's what I'm going through right now. And I'm wondering, is, is that the best route? Well, it's interesting because I think, as you said, even the most well-meaning parents mess up right? We are not perfect. We, we have our own issues that we're bringing into play, whether we've had a bad day, maybe we've had an argument with our spouse or with another kid, or maybe we had, you know, something happened at work or whatever. So I, I hear what you're saying. And I, you know, I think for many parents, the best approach is to do the latter thing that you said, which is, Go to the match, enjoy watching your child play, sit there with your hands in your lap, be stoic, you know, show little to no emotion, let them play the match, let them come off the court, let them decide when they're ready to discuss the match with you. And um, and that's your job, right? That's your role when you're at a tournament with them. That said, it is very, very, very difficult to do that. And yeah. um, 
you know, for somebody like me, when my son was playing, I grew up playing tennis. So I knew just enough to be dangerous out there as the tennis parent, right? I knew right. how to play the game. I, I understood tactics. I understood strokes and shot selection and all those things. Um, but I didn't have the self-control to manage my tone of voice and manage my body language in a way that avoided conflict with my kid, you know? So sometimes tournament weekends were just brutal. Um, most of the time they weren't, most of the time they were great, but we had our moments. So I, I don't know what the answer is, JY, but I feel like, you know, at the very least, the parents need to be part of the equation. And if the parent is the one taking the child to the tournament, then I think it's important that that the coach informs the parent and says, hey, this is what we've been working on. When you're watching him or her play this weekend, can you keep tabs on how many times they use this shot? Because this is you know, something we're working on. That's all I want from you at this tournament, can you come back after the tournament and just tell me, you know, how many times they use the shot in each match, because that's been the focus. And if you give the parents a task, it allows us to focus on something helpful rather than yeah. get so caught up in the emotion of the competition. So that's, that's one suggestion that I, I think is helpful. Um, but I hear you. I mean, it's, it's a tough call and every situation's different. I mean, there's some kids who don't even want their parents coming to tournaments. They know the parent has to be there because it's the only way the kid's going to get there, but they don't want their parents watching. And to me, having those conversations and revisiting those conversations on a regular basis between the parent, the player, and the coach is crucial. You know, keeping the lines of communication open. Yeah, and I think... You brought up a great point, and that's that's one thing I do think is wrong, which is I do think it's wrong to just be like, be the parent, shut up, leave us alone, let me do my job, don't come to the court, just that's it, stay out of it. Like, no, right? No parent is not going to be involved in right. what their child is doing to some degree. So talk to them, keep them involved, help them understand what's going on, and they can, like you said, give them a task that maybe isn't specifically coaching but it's still productive. Um, so I, I think that's that's a great thing that I think can be managed. And then I think looking at things over the overall long term, because what is the overall most important goal, which is happiness for the child, right? They're just hoping tennis is the, the, the avenue which they find the most happiness, right? So how can we find the most happiness and, and on a con consistent basis, right? And, and within that is I would rather the coach be the bad person because you can always get rid of your coach. Me you too. Really, yeah. <laughs> I would rather the coach be the bad person too. <laughs> so so you, can, you can get rid of, you can get rid of coaches. There's plenty of us out there, some better than others, but you can fire a coach, right? If your child really hates them. But the last thing that you want to do is provide an environment where, the, and I've had this and it was just part of the environment where, I was so mad at what my parents said after a match that I didn't want to be at the dinner table with them. Yeah. Home was a place I didn't even want to be. I just want to be locked in my room. And that's not a healthy environment. Yeah. And look, that's going to happen, right? That's just part of life. But when tennis 
when you already do that with parenting, but then you add tennis, now there's so many times where that starts to happen because the parent took on the coaching role, right? So that's where it's, look, let home and the dinner table be a place of happiness, relaxation, away from what they're putting so much time and effort in. Be the mom and dad, be there for them, talk, talk something else, right? And then just let the, the, the stressful moments or whatever and those bad experiences be with the coach, right? But give them an avenue to get away because if if the home life also starts to mix in with their tennis life, then there's nowhere for them to go. And there's going to be a point where disaster hits. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one of the messages that I put out regularly through Parenting Aces is really the goal of the junior and college tennis journey is to come out the other side with your relationship with your child healthy and intact. That's it. That's the goal. And everything else is bonus, right? If they get a scholarship, awesome. If they make it on the pro tour, awesome. But, you know, as long as that relationship is intact and, and I will say, you know, as rough as my journey with my son was from time to time, we did a really good job at preserving our relationship and, and putting that first and right. making sure that that was the most important thing. And I, I just encourage every parent to keep that in mind too. I think it's, it's crucial. Um, JY, I know you're so busy and us open is getting ready to start and you're there with Riley and I'm so excited to see how he does this year. He's had an unbelievable summer, so I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast can you share with our audience your website address if they want to get in touch with you, um, how to do that, and how to follow you on socials? Sure. My uh, first thank you for having me. I love talking tennis, um, and I love hearing things from, from a parent's perspective too. Uh, you don't get a lot of that, so that is very helpful to hear a parent's side of things rather than just a coach's because uh, we both play important roles. Uh, we need each other, so it's great to to hear all this and. Yeah, my, my website is abonetennis.com, A-U-B-O-N-E tennis.com. Uh, you can even email me. That's my same email at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And you can find all those links through through my webpage as well. Reach out to me at any time. I'm, really, I just want to help through tennis. I want to help kids. I want to help parents. It's a hard process, and but it's a never-ending one that uh, we all keep learning. And I, I just want to help. You know, I want to help. I, I There's nothing more painful than seeing a kid fail for the wrong reasons, right? And, and that's all I want. I'm like, look, I don't know where you're going to end up. Um, I just want to at least give you the best chance for happiness and success and wherever things happen. And, you know, if they're doing things the right way, something good's going to come out of it. And hopefully I can help them find that. I love it. JY, we'll have links to all to your website and to all your socials in the show notes on parentingaces.com or wherever you are consuming this podcast. But um, again, thank you so much. And please give Riley our best. I wish him only success over the next two weeks and enjoy your time in New York. Stay healthy. Um, eat some great pizza for me, please. That's the thing I miss the most about oh, yeah. is my nightly slice of pizza on the way back to the hotel. But yeah. That dollar seventy-five slice of pizza that's, that's right in my head. One. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Um, but have a great, great two weeks, and looking for great things from Riley, and and just so appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thanks Thank again, you, Lisa. Thank you. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. 
for Tennis Parents by a Tennis Parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.